First Peter chapter 3. So Peter began a new section a few weeks ago and really launched into what his main concern for the letter that he's writing is. And he's answering a question that's very important to the people living at the time that they were living, that he was writing this letter. And that was how to live as a Christian, how to have a right relationship with unbelievers in a pagan society. How are they supposed to interact with people that didn't believe the same things that they believed, didn't worship the same God they worshiped? So he's answering this basic question. How should God's people live in right relationship with unbelievers in a pagan society? So Peter wrote that the first priority is for you to battle your own sin, maintain your good conduct. So the focus should be on how you're living and how you're seeking to continue doing the right things. Last week we saw that Peter called us to submit to authority, to see the human institutions that God has placed over us as good and something that we should obey. So as Christians trying to live well in a society where we don't belong, as kind of exiles, we should still submit to authority. Just because uh, this will lead to a good life, but also because this is what Jesus did. Jesus is one who submitted himself to the point of death. So as Jesus followers, as Christians, which means little Christs, we should do the same thing as Jesus and submit to authority. So we're going to continue kind of this whole emphasis, or Peter's going to continue this emphasis of how to live in a place where you don't belong. And he's going to continue by talking about how this should translate to your family, to the household that you live in. Like, how should you interact with your family? And it's on this kind of level of the society where he turns his attention. So we're going to see how he instructs husbands, wives, and then he's going to summarize all of that by a by a call to everyone, how they should act. Okay, before we read the passage for tonight, I'm going to hit you with this up front. You need to make sure you pay attention to the context. Does everyone know what I'm saying by context? Remember where Peter's at, okay? Peter is instructing Christians on how to maintain their good conduct in light of unbelievers watching. That's very important that you pay attention to the context because... There's going to be some things in the passage tonight that can be horribly misunderstood if they're taken out of context. If they're taken out of the context of Peter's argument, and if they're taken out of the context of Peter's time and where he was living. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and read this passage. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of the husbands do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, even when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person, the inner person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. 
Likewise, husbands, love, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let me pray. Father, we are thankful to be your children. We're thankful to be people who uh, live under your word, who see your word as an authority, that you've testified to Jesus and through uh, written scriptures. And Lord, this is what your scripture is all about. It's showing us Jesus. So Lord, as we read and study the passage tonight, I pray that we would see Jesus. Nothing less than that. Nothing more than that. And Lord, that your words would be what remains in their, in their hearts and minds, in their ears. Lord, free them from distraction. Give me boldness and clarity. And Lord, in all of these things, I pray that you equip the saints with these words so that they can live in a way that honors you. And to that end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're going to have to labor a little bit to break down what Peter's getting at here, okay? We're going to look at some things, but we're going to work our way through this passage. There are three groups of people that Peter commands in this. Commands to wives, commands to husbands, and then he commands everybody, okay? So we're just going to look at those three categories. First is the commands to wives, So the majority of what Peter's going to say is going to be to wives in this passage. But let's look specifically at the commands he gives. The first one is be subject to your own husband. And the second one is adorn yourself with inner beauty, imperishable beauty, beauty, not the external beauty, the braiding of hair and wearing jewelry and all that. So the first one, be subject to your own husband. So I'll I'll tell you right off the bat, this is a very contentious, um, dangerous concept in the climate that we live in today to say that a wife is to submit herself to her husband. So I want to clarify some things up front and then get at what Peter is getting at. So let's clarify a few things. First thing, let's consider the context. Consider the context. Okay, remember, Peter has just called every Christian, male or female, married or unmarried, to submit to authority. This is what he's getting at. He's saying every Christian has to submit to some sort of authority. And this is where he, is, he has come from. So he's just transitioning out of calling every Christian to submit to authority to now talking about how a wife should submit to the authority of her husband. So Peter's not picking on wives here. Okay? He's not calling wives to do something he doesn't call all Christians to do at some, to some extent. All Christians are called to submit to an authority at some point. So he's not picking on wives here. He's not belittling them or insulting them in any way. 
Okay, so make sure you just consider that context. It's very important that you don't just see him talking just to wives here. All right, next thing is seeing the context. We have to remind ourselves that submission is not a bad thing. All Christians are commanded to submit to somebody. First and foremost, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So we are all people who have to submit to the authorities that are placed above us. So we even have a Lord and Savior, Jesus, who himself submitted himself to the will of the Father and then subjected himself to death. So submission is not a bad thing. Submission is something that runs contrary to our natural wills as human beings. But as Christians, we're all called to to submit to some extent, and that includes wives to their husbands here. And I would say, if you don't understand submission and how that's good for you, then you're missing a component of the gospel. You're missing a key component of repentance in the gospel if you don't understand that submission is a good thing. It says that um, God is in control and he's the one we should be serving and obeying. Um, Third thing, submission is not the point. Notice, this is so important, notice that Paul or Peter commands the woman, the wife, to submit. He does not command the husband to demand submission. Okay? It is the woman who voluntarily and choosing to enter into a marriage relationship is choosing to submit herself to the authority of the husband. The husband is not demanding this as some sort of dictator. We'll talk more about that later, but submission isn't the point. Submission is something that shouldn't be the operating force of a marriage. It's not the number one thing that a marriage is about. The operating force in the covenant of marriage should be love, honor, respect, and service. And out of that, submission flows out of that. I promise you, there's not a submission issue for wives when the husband is loving and serving and honoring her in the way that God has called, her, called him to honor and love her. So submission is not the point. There should be mutual love and honor and respect. And out of that, there should be a healthy respect from the wife. So when the Christian wife is seeking to love her husband with her whole being, and the husband is seeking to love his wife with his whole being, the issue of submission is not, a, is not an issue. It never emerges. You only have to go a few more verses in the passage. right? You only have to go down just one more paragraph to see that Peter expects there to be mutual love. He calls everyone, not just wives and husbands, to be tender-hearted, sympathetic, to, to be united. So there is no inkling of support to say that the husband has to demand this in a way that is unloving or that is not sacrificial service. This is not simply a call for the husband to be unsympathetic or unloving. Okay? So... Submission's not the point of the marriage. It's something uh, that should flow out of a healthy, good, respectful, loving marriage. Fourth thing, submission does not mean in any way that the one submitting is less valuable. This is not a statement of value. Peter is not saying that a woman in the marriage is less valuable than a man in a marriage. It's not what he's saying. Just because someone submits to someone else does not mean they are less valuable than the one they submit to. We have a perfect picture of this in Christianity because we have the Trinity. 
we've talked a little bit about the Trinity in here. The Trinity, we believe that there's one God that exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, the Son, he constantly said that he was submitting himself to the Father, right? He was following the Father's will. He was submitting, subjecting himself to what the Father wanted. We, we don't believe in any way, shape, or form that Jesus was less of God because he submitted to the Father. So the principle of what we're saying here is just because the Son submitted to the Father does not mean that Jesus is any less God than the Father. In the same way, just because a wife is called to submit to the husband does not mean the wife is any less valuable than the husband in a marriage. So just because there's submission does not mean there is a statement of value to say that a woman is less valuable than a man. That's not what Peter's talking about here. So a wife's submission in a marriage has to do with function, not value. Just as Jesus Christ functionally submitted to the Father, yet he was equal with the Father, a wife is functionally submitting to her husband, yet equal to him. So last important thing to note here is this is not a call for all women to submit to all men. It's not what he's talking here. Just because you're a man does not mean you have authority over all women on the planet. He is specifically calling a wife to submit to her husband. That is what he's talking about here. And that, that is entered into voluntarily. A woman chooses to enter the covenant relationship with that expectation. So this is not saying that all men should rule all women all the time. It's just not here in this text. So let's make sure, okay, we keep all of that in mind as we get to what Peter's really getting at here. We have to make sure we clarify that, especially in the day and age that we live. Just to kind of summarize it, Peter has no intention to belittle the wife, to insult the wife, but in radical kind of contrast to his current time, Peter actually is going to go on to say that the wife is a co-heir of grace. The wife, the reason that a man should honor his wife is because she's also sharing in the gift of grace that he's sharing in. So Peter actually elevates the position of women in direct contrast to his time. Like, women were not appreciated. They were seen as property. They were seen as simply part of the household. And Peter elevates the wife and says, she is a co-heir of grace. So you honor her. You respect her in that sense. And uh, he devotes time to actually instruct them here. That was unheard of. He was assuming that wives are going to read and hear this letter and that they need to be instructed. So that's, that's key, that Peter is actually elevating women here. So what is Peter getting at with this command? We've clarified what he's not doing. What is he actually doing? So the context helps. It's part of a larger pattern that Peter's already put in motion. Peter has called believers to live a holy life before unbelievers with the hope that their conduct will lead to their salvation. So, Peter is taking the general command to maintain good conduct among unbelievers, and he's applying it specifically to a wife who has not been saved while her husband, or who has been saved while her husband has not been saved. 
This is the specific situation that Peter is talking to. Peter is urging the women of the churches he's writing to to live a life in society that's respectable so that they will be able to maintain a good reputation for the gospel. That's what his point is here. So this command has a very evangelistic purpose. It's the, it's the um, lifestyle evangelism. He's linking the Christian's conduct to their witness for the gospel. So just imagine the specific situation that he's addressing. The Jesus movement is breaking out. The church is multiplying. There's news of Jesus as the Messiah has been raised to life. And this, this news is breaking its way into a bunch of different locations. And you have a situation where a wife is saved, and she goes back home to her household where her husband isn't. It's a very natural thing that would happen in this time period for the wife to have been saved, but the husband wasn't. So in this, in this time and age, it was very scandalous for a wife to even have friends outside of her husband and his friends. It could be easily misunderstood and misconstrued if she had friends who were not her husband or her husband's friends. So even the idea that a wife was engaging in like the church community could have been scandalous and misunderstood and misrepresented and subject to gossip and all that stuff. Further, it would be even more radical for a wife to follow the religion or um, a different way of life other than her husband's. They would, people in that time and age would just be confused as to how that happened and what's going on in that marriage. So, there's a, a quote from this guy named Plutarch. Anyone read someone, Plutarch? Okay, when I actually believe that you have read Plutarch. That's the funny thing. But uh, he's a, a, a guy writing at this time, and we just gleam a little bit of insight about uh, what the world was like. And this is what Plutarch writes. This is what he instructs. Okay, this is not Taylor. If this gets clipped out of the audio recording and somehow becomes Taylor's opinion, it's not Taylor's opinion. This is Plutarch, okay? Uh, but this is what he says. A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only the gods whom her husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and strange superstitions. Okay? So listen, that's how they thought. That was their expectation for wives, that they were very close-knit with their husband. They followed him. They submitted to him. They didn't have any crazy superstitious thoughts outside of that. So that's what Peter's addressing here. He's saying the Jesus movement could be seen as a superstitious cult that the wife has joined. So what do you do? Peter says, keep submitting to your husband. Maintain your good conduct with your husband. Because maybe by you maintaining that good conduct, he may be saved. Right? So the, the societal backdrop, the background information really, really helps here. So we don't blow this out of proportion. Okay? So this also, the societal backdrop really helps with the second command. The second command was to adorn yourself with inner imperishable beauty. So Peter calls the wives not to focus on their outer beauty that will fade away. And he references the braiding of hair, 
wearing fine jewelry or nice clothes. And he says, instead, focus on your inner beauty that will not perish. So again, at that time period, this was just how they thought. If they saw a woman who was putting on makeup and nice clothes and jewelry, strutting about in public, they would have assumed that that was deceptive and seductive. That's what they would have assumed. So notice that Peter is saying, don't subject yourself to that type of gossip or that type of misunderstanding. If people assume that about the time, do not live in such a way where you could have your whole faith and the whole gospel called into question. Again, remember the context. This is how Peter is training them to think. Change your behavior. Keep your conduct good and respectable so that the gospel doesn't suffer. That's the main principle here. So this isn't the case for us today. If we see a people out or women out with makeup, we don't automatically assume negative things. Women in public with jewelry are not automatically seductive or deceptive, or at least I hope that that's your opinion. It's not, I let, you know, let my wife wear makeup and jewelry, it's fine. Um, but here's a principle that we can kind of take from this. The way you present yourself matters in terms of how you represent the gospel. And this applies to all of us, not just to women. So practically, just check yourself regarding how you present yourself. How are you presenting yourself in society? Are you seeking to gain attention, entice attraction, or seek validation in terms of the world's standards? Is that how you want to present yourself? Is that your motive for how you present yourself? Or do you present your worth your value, like you are fully accepted and validated by Jesus? Does the way you dress and accessorize yourself scream to the world that you need their attention and their superficial worship? Or does it send the message that you don't need any unwanted attention, any misguided sexual advances, or any amount of, of shallow praise? Does the world think you prioritize external beauty more than you prioritize inner beauty. So the way you present yourself matters because if you are a follower of Jesus, you are representing the gospel. And we're not simply talking about the clothes you wear, but how you talk and how you present yourself to people, how you appear before society. So that's uh, Peter's commands to wives. And it's, it's so important that we remember he's just specifically taking their scenario and, and calling them to maintain their good conduct so that the gospel will not be hindered. So, so important. So let's talk about the husbands. Command to husbands. He uh, turns his attention to the husbands, and he gives basically two commands. The first one is be understanding towards their wives. Peter commands husbands to understand their wives, to be understanding. So uh, let's just be honest. Women are hard to figure out. Guys are enigmas. I have been married to Steph for, oh goodness. Oh uh, no, 2014. This is almost five years. Yeah, it'll be five years in May. And uh, I remember, thank you, Levi. <laughs> um, but I remember, listen to me, 
I remember the first Valentine's Day I had with Stephanie, and we both agreed. We both agreed that we're not going to get gifts. Uh, I came at it from, we don't have money. They're dumb. They usually just rot on a shelf somewhere. If you get flowers, it's just a, a great reminder of death and decay. Um, I was very pragmatic in it, right? And Steph's, you know, Steph's like, okay, we won't get gifts. That's fine. So I'm out of it. Like, sweet, no gifts. That's cool. Um, I, and then I remember I show up on Valentine's Day, and it was in the parking lot at, at Liberty by this Doc's Diner. And Steph gets out of her car, and she has this massive card, like, that she made out of a poster. And she's, like, holding it, and I'm just, like, standing there like a doofus. Got nothing. And uh, she had made this homemade card with, like, all pictures and quotes from our relationship. And, like, she had cut out pieces of, like, notes that I had given her and, like, put it in the card. It was, like, so thoughtful. And I was, the only thing I was just like, I thought we weren't getting gifts. Like, I don't understand. Like, what? And what you start to realize is there's secret messages or there are just things you're not going to understand about how a woman's brain works, or at least Stephanie's brain. Um, but I don't think that's what, uh, what Peter's talking about here at all. I don't think he's talking about, you, you know, women are just so hard to understand. I don't think that's his point. I think what he's talking about here is the call for a husband to listen to his wife, to hear her out, to have a disposition where he actually wants to understand her and get a sense for how she feels. And it shows that the marriage relationship Peter is envisioning is not this one-way street where the wife just submits herself to the husband and the husband's doing his thing. It, it directly addresses the whole idea that the husband should be understanding, that he should position himself towards the wife where he's seeking to understand her and see her as a partner, not simply as an accessory to his life or an accomplice to what he wants to do, but as a partner, that they're one flesh. You know, in Genesis 2, in the passage we read, God gave a woman to man out of his side to be a partner, a helpmate in the economy of how the world works. So men and women are supposed to be together and complement one another in what they're doing. And this is what I think Peter's getting at here. Is he, has to, he has to be understanding, listen to her, care for her, notice how she feels and responds. And then this leads to the second thing Peter commands, show honor. Peter commands husbands to show honor to their wife. The husband should not um, see her as anything less than a child of God, as an heir of grace. Not, um, not many of you are married in this room, um, but I want you young men to know that you are training yourself right now on how you will honor your future wife, if you have a future wife. How you treat women now will train you how you will honor your future wife. I promise you, the way you treat women now is, is training you in how you're going to treat your future wife. Practically, guys, there are some ways that you interact with women now that will hurt or help how you honor your future wife. Let's be real. Pornography 
if that's one of the major ways you interact with women, by objectifying them, by using them simply as a tool for your self-satisfaction, that is going to creep its way into your marriage. It's going to affect how you honor or dishonor your future wife. It's going to happen. The studies are very clear on pornography's addiction and how it makes its way into our relationships. Girls, same thing. Don't cater to boys that want to objectify you. Don't give them the time of day. Do not give them an inch. If they request for you to send nude pictures of yourself, shut it down. It's not worth the false attention that they give you. It's not about you. It's about their wants and their desires. It's not about you. You shouldn't feel validated from that. You should feel used and abused. You don't need it. They're not honoring you in any way, shape, or form. Young men, if you're dating a girl and pressuring her to engage in sexual conduct, or if that is something that you too thoughtlessly dance around, that's not honoring her. You're not training yourself to honor your future wife because you're not honoring God and the boundaries he set up right now. That's an important principle. You will not honor your future wife or your, your current wife or your current girlfriend if you do not honor God. So this is important. Practicing sexual intimacy outside of or before the covenant of marriage is not training you to honor your future wife because it is training you to dishonor God's design of marriage and intimacy right now. So those things matter. Now let's talk about the phrase weaker vessel. Peter says for men to honor women as the weaker vessel. I'll be honest. When I was first reading this passage and I was studying this, I read that phrase and I said, oh no. Peter just lost his day job. Like, he's going to have to make a public apology. Right? That's the climate we live in. Right? You call a woman weak or weaker and... That's an issue. So what is Peter talking about here? Because it sounds offensive. If, like, I came up to anyone, you know, if I came up to James and I called you a weak vessel, like, that's an insult. Like, you're a weak vessel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if I told Stephanie that she's a weaker vessel, that's not going to go over well. Like, that's just, so this sounds insulting. It sounds belittling. So what's, what's just, try to understand really what he's getting at, especially today when, you know, there's just this, this very strong push for an independent superhero type woman. And that, that flies in the face of what Peter has said here, or maybe it doesn't. So let's slow down a little bit. And I don't want all of our cultural understandings to kind of overwhelm this. But the first apparent thing I want you to, want you to see is that Peter is not saying that women are intellectually morally or spiritually weaker. It's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying they're weaker in value. They're weaker in anything that would take away their value as a human being. He's not claiming that their character is um, in any way deficient. There's not an attack on woman's equality. It's not what he's doing. So, Peter's not saying that they're less valuable. Second, I'm not going to explain all of the studying I did to arrive at this conclusion, and uh, the hours that I spent in books trying to figure out what he's saying here, but it seems, based on the certain language that he's using here, is that he's talking about 
that women are generally speaking physically weaker than men. Just physically. Now, I can give you a list of women that could beat me up. Like, I could probably come up with that list. Stephanie could probably beat me up. Um, but just generally speaking, what I think he's talking about here is that in, in general, women are physically weaker than men. I mean, this isn't that big of an insult, right? Biologically, there's some makeup here that men have testosterone and they build muscle differently. This is why there's a WNBA. This is why <laughs> there is uh, a men's division and women's divisions in Olympics, right? We're just, we all kind of understand the general point that women are physically weaker in a general sense, <laughs> stop laughing, than men, okay? But like I said, I freely admit there are women that could beat me up in a heartbeat that I'd probably run away from. So I think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's te- teaching about physical weakness. I don't think there's any reason to go all up in arms about this. And uh, let's just continue on. <laughs> Um, lastly, Peter gives a command to everybody. And look, this is really, really important. He gives a command to everybody, not just wives and husbands. So we expect both wives and husbands to do these things. Um, I just made a quick list, called them to be united, to have sympathy, to love one another like family, which means like you love one another not simply because they do these things, they act this way, but you love them with the unshakable bond of family. You're tender-hearted. You have humility. Bless those who hurt you. So Peter concludes all of this with a call for each and every Christian, not just wives, not just slaves or servants, not just husbands, not just men or women. Every Christian is commanded to show love to one another, be tender-hearted towards one another, look out for others' interests, not be vindictive, to have sympathy. And this is contextually very, very important to realize that this passage comes after the passage to wives to husbands is very important. Because yes, although Peter calls wives to submit to the authority of their husbands in a marriage, that's how he's designed the marriage to function, there's no inkling of support that Peter wants the husband to be a totalitarian, dogmatic, rigid, harsh, loveless, robotic dictator. If anything, the implication is that husbands being the leader of the household and the home should be the one leading the way in these virtues. The husband should be leading the way in having sympathy and loving and being tender-hearted and having humility and blessing those even even when they feel hurt or reviled. So husbands should take the initiative in those things. So you may hear people take this passage or other passages about women submitting to their husbands out of context and claim crazy things like a woman should continue to submit even if she's being abused or a woman has no say in the relationship. She simply just has to obey the man. That's it. That's all her job is. To do that is to disregard the four verses after. The person that's making those crazy arguments, those out-of-context arguments, read 3, 1 through 7, but they don't read 3, 8 through 12. Okay? Every one of us in the room is called 
to do this. So, there are differences. Women and men are, are equal, but they're not indistinguishable. They have different functions, and they operate differently. But that's according to God's good design. This is not something that's supposed to be flaunted or taunted or abused or misused. And like we've said, these are the things that should mark a Christian marriage because it should mark a Christian life. Love, service, humility. Not simply dogmatic, authoritative submission. That's not the point of Christian marriage because it's, it's by marriage that God gives one of his greatest representations of what the gospel is in Jesus and the church. And Jesus does not love the church uh, or does not treat the church without love and humility and sacrificial service. So women, one day if you get married, look for a husband that acts like Jesus, that wants to serve you, wants to lead you, but leads you through humility and honoring you and respecting you. Men, be worthy to be followed. As you grow up and you want to be a husband one day, asking a woman to follow you and to nurture you and encourage you should begin with you being a man who's worthy of of that. So you can start that today because all of us are called to act this way. So this is how we'll conclude, okay? This is uh, just a short conclusion that one principle we can all take from this is that The way Christians relate to one another is one of the most critical parts of relating well to others. Like how how wives and husbands relate to one another affects how they relate to others. And that's true for all of us in this room. How we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ will translate to how we relate to unbelievers. So this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Make this statement. How you treat one another is proclaiming a certain gospel to the world. How you interact with one another is, se- is telling something about the gospel. Is it the gospel of Jesus? Is it the gospel that's defined by love and humility and service and honor and respect and submission? Happy, joyful, loving submission. So marriage matters. Your relationships matter because it points to the gospel and your witness as a Christian in an unbelieving world. So may that be your challenge today. I'm going to close in prayer. And we're going to sing.